0: I think the secret to this episode would have been if Amanda had simply set fire to the house next door. What? And then the fire ghost and the mirror ghost or the lonely ghost would have combined and they would have killed each other.
1: Oh my God. No, she would set the fire and then Beth would die in the fire.
0: As long as Beth dies and the ghost are eradicated, I am a happy camper, a match scratcher camper by a campfire. See what I did there?
1: I do see that, but you would never sit by a fire in the woods. I'm just saying.
0: I don't like the wilderness. (laughs) I am so scared. I think I'm going to eat some marshmallows to sate my fear.
1: I'm scared of eating marshmallows.
0: Because of the pajamas? They
1: just gross me out. I like the pajamas, but not the insides.
0: Fucking disgusting. Gross. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Good evening, match scratchers. Pick a patch, scratch a match, and brew up from a wicked weed and repulsive root a horror-laden
0: batch. Follow the drying leaves to the dying fire-lit clearing. Here, we'll recite chilling tales and ignite cooling coals. Lob another log upon the fire. If you claim you're unafraid, you're a goddamn liar. When midnight chimes, they will meet, submitting sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke the heat, embrace the glowing orange glare. Match Scratchers, Never Fear, Dr. Red Devil, With a ruh And Falsetto, No Mister, Accent on the Toe, Are Here. Lock up, What will easily scare, Sequester, That which you'd rather not share, That foreboding fireside rustling in the thicket, Was likely only a bear. Like Blake and his leper, colony in john carpenter's the fog by campfire
1: we conspire
0: tonight if you see smoke from your burning roast that's not by culinary design but a fucking fire ghost and this ghostly gal is so beside herself she is backwards good evening match scratchers when midnight chimes we both will meet.
1: Podcasting slick, sick tales to scare.
0: Master your fears. Stoke dying heat.
1: Embrace the coals. Glowing orange glare.
0: It is falsetto. No mister. Accent on the toe. And. Red devil with a rah, rah, rah. Doctor. Red devil is in the house. Don't forget Do- your.
1: Doctor. I forgot that I had my doctorate.
0: Don't forget your degree in grotesquerie. Heyo! Welcome to Campfire Scary Tales, where our campsite will affright till morning light. We absolutely love most of the episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and every time we meet, we try to answer that enigmatic question, are we afraid? Is it the dark that we're afraid of? Perhaps we're terrified inside, but not of the dark, but of that looming unknown and we desperately search for a spark. If you once enjoyed, still enjoy, or will enjoy henceforth, and in perpetuity, Nickelodeon's very own Are You Afraid of the Dark broadcast that terrified Tot and Teen alike in the early 90s, then you will feel right at home on the Forsaken Rocks atop the speaker's stone throne, while occupying temporary, nocturnal space, in this chillingly convenient clearing, where fellow match-scratchers meet to pour tales of terror upon an open flame. These terrifying testimonies are far from tame, usually. The most unnerving, unsettling, and upsetting scary tale wins the game, and striking matches along with striking deeply into your core fear gland, proves their aim. If you're soon too frightened or anxious to sleep, if you intend to scream but can nary muster a peep, if your once spry movements retard to a lumbering creep and becoming a slave to your fears, you have but yourself to blame. Between midnight and first light, we meet our appetites prepped for delicious tales of fright in your own unease, crawling skin, tingled spine and sweaty brow. We take delight. It will be hours before you can see anything beyond our proximal campfire light, our weekly night light. We cleared, constructed and consecrated this campsite and our match scratch society we revel in delight. It is both our sacred and unholy duty to your fears incite. This cold cord of wood ignite your amygdala of fright. If by some miraculous design you survive the scary tale of the night, then it is your solemn campfire scary tale duty to find your match-scratcher ass back to this haunted hollow with your own goddamn flashlight.
1: Today, you are tricked or treated, depending on your point of voodoo, with our third submission, Tale of Terror. Between midnight and first light, strike a match, and a new batch of dismaying, fears and anxieties not allaying, tales hatch. The goal is to, the last told tale, outmatch, and leave the loser to the victor, begging for a rematch. With that, match scratchers, sleep deeply. And remember to your bedroom window latch.
0: Podcasted for the auditory approval of the Match Scratch Society, we whisper through the mic our fireside submission sometime between midnight and first light of Campfire Scary Tales. Submission 3. The Backwards Match Stick Society. Fire detection and a dire reflection. Unknown firelight. And her lone flashlight. Fire ghost slash lonely ghost. I remember these episodes like it was yesterday. The patter of rain, the shutters banging against the side of the house, the moored boat with a strange Canadian fog lifting off of the surface. You still love the moored boat the best? Is that still your favy?
1: Well, I think all of them are creepy. I like the attic a lot too. And the skateboard, that's cool.
0: The attic. The attic has a lot going on. It's almost like a full feature production. You have the sound effect of kids laughing. You've got lightning crashing. You've got a skateboard, a homeless clown, all kinds of shit going on up there. Not to mention desperately trying to get out or perhaps prevent something from getting in as that door handle is jiggling.
1: It's Zebo oh, Not yet.
0: We might be saving Zebo for our 13th episode. Who knows? The shadow knows. Zebo knows transfixed by the matchstick's fickle flame and fixated on his father to blame the tale of the fire ghost our first episode tonight is the 10th episode of the fourth season of are you afraid of the dark as well as the 49th episode in total i remember this episode came on later in the season i remember that and i remember watching this episode live in real time when i was young I was involved in a calamitous conflagration. I was outside my house. I was scratching matches and throwing them on the ground because that's fun when you're 9, 10 years old. Well, then this son of a bitch down the street named Chris, he came over and he grabbed the matchbook like a good match scratcher out of my hand and lit the whole book of matches on fire and then threw it down the sewer grate, which was right in front of our home. We had a corner home. And because it was the fall, there were quite a few dried leaves that were just nestled in the sewer. So a fire started licking its flames up at me. Chris ran on down the street to go home. He wasn't gonna be embroiled in this embroglio, but I went inside all calmly, and I grabbed a large cup of water underneath the nose of my mother, and I just walked back outside and I poured it down into the sewer <laughs> and nothing happened. And so oh then I, I and then I ran back inside and I said, Mom we have a problem. So then she helped me get the fire hose, well, the hose, and we just sprayed water down into the sewer. And then smoke was rising up to the moon for the next 15 minutes. The fire department was called and I had to explain to a fire marshal what happened. And of course, I only assumed about 30% of the responsibility where I told this guy, they had like three fire trucks out there. All the neighbors were standing out staring. We were shamed as a family. And I said, look, I had the matches, but this guy, I gave the guy's full name, down the street, he's the one that set the book on fire and threw it into the sewer. Well, I was told that because I was young, and I seemed like I learned my lesson, they just wrote it up as a warning. But I got the royal shit beaten out of me by my father once he was made aware of the conflagration and my role in it. That Did you is- ever
1: like matchsticks after that? Oh, yeah. I uh, see you learned your lesson.
0: Well, I didn't throw him down the sewer, and I certainly wasn't involved in a near do who would throw them down the sewer.
1: Well, I think you still have a fascination with fire because you're always burning the little feathers that come out of my couch.
0: But I was always obsessed with the magical properties of fire. Still to this day, at its most elemental, it's still very exciting.
1: I like fire too. In fact, I love watching the flame dance whenever you light a candle. It's really cool.
0: We would have been dedicated and dutiful match scratchers in our youth. We could have always been the ones of the match-scratch society that lit the fire. Think about it. Think about it.
1: Well, knowing my dad, we would be... If we had lit a fire, he would have talked through fire safety with us. I could see that happening. He'd be, like, really focused on fire safety. In fact, I probably had a fire safety badge um, from Girl Scouts.
0: So what's your memory of your youth?
1: Well, mine's not as cool as yours because I didn't set anything on fire. But I do have memories of when I was young. You would, like, go out to... Farms like Old McDonald Farm and do field trips and stuff where there would be a fire truck. And I always thought that was super cool. You get to climb up. I think one time I even got to put on like the fireman uniform and stuff. And I thought that was really cool. Now, if I had seen this episode, I would not have thought it was very cool.
0: I would have been too scared. Fire as the chief antagonist of the story is appropriate for December 10th, 1994, when things are getting chilly in most parts of the United States. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative, as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. At the end of the episode, Sam gives Kiki American money, even though it's filmed in Canada. Miles Ferguson, who portrayed Jimmy Preston, sadly passed away in a car accident. This happened September 29th, 2000. I hope that the car did not catch fire. That would have been too close to home. Vanessa King, who plays Roxy, is also in The Tale of the Guardian's Curse. From these two episodes alone, I like Vanessa King. I think she's good. Miles and Vanessa also appear together in the TV show Edgemont, which I have never seen. Oh, the guy who plays the fire ghost, Tim Post? He was previously the black-robed figure in The Tale of the Dream Machine, but we wouldn't have known that. But he's the guy that attacks the black guy who is finding the grave of Blind Paul. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Michael Copeman, who played Jake, who we really liked here, was also in a Goosebumps episode, Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. Okay, that is going to come into play very soon when we get to our next campfire submission. But for now, just remember that the Scarecrow Walks at Midnight might be one of my favorite Goosebumps books ever and one of my favorite covers. One of 21 episodes where the Midnight Society didn't leave and douse the fire with the water bucket. Since the water had been spilled, they didn't use it. They used dirt.
1: Yes, that is a good way to put out a fire because the fire needs oxygen.
0: It's a good idea to keep baking soda open in your kitchen so that you can dump it on a grease fire. Some dialogue, we have Linda and Dan Preston. Don't let them fill up on cake. I don't want to have to deal with sugar fiends when I get back. Who? The kids or the guys? Both. They get along pretty swimmingly for a divorced couple. Now we have Roxy and Jake. How do you know so much about ghosts? Takes one to no one. Oh, dang! We are now at the campsite of Fright. Tucker, fucking Tucker, is the storyteller. He also tells good stories. Sam and Kiki, Freaky Kiki, are arguing. I like that they have this melodrama behind the scenes. I think it actually adds to and enrichens the show. Favorite sweater of Kiki... She let Sam borrow it, Sam had it in her locker, and then it was stolen out of said locker.
1: Oh, I had a $100 Express gift card stolen out of my locker.
0: I was so pissed. Well, this is not Sam's fault, but Kiki is treating it as though she is the culprit. Then Tucker, in his dumbass, spills the water bucket. We can just call him the Butter Bucket instead of Butterfingers. See what I did there? Mm, Although I guess it doesn't really work because, you know, he kicked it over. But I like how immediately, and this is how bullying starts. This is the incipient phase of bullying. Frank immediately says, Well, Bucket Boy, I guess you're up. So they're probably going to dog him about this for a month.
1: It builds character. That's what I
0: say. Fire. Fire is what Tucker is obsessed with. And I like what he says here. Sometimes Betty Ann and Tucker have good prefaces. The damage it causes, not while it's burning, but after it's been put out. I like that. Here is your drinking game for this episode.
1: Every time there is a supernatural situation, or an open flame, or every time the term Fire Ghost is mentioned, if you drink for all, you're Frank the Tank.
0: The Tale of Terror. We have a tree violently banging into a window of a firehouse. Question, is that even supernatural? If it is, you're already taking a drink. Let's
1: say yes. Drink number one.
0: This episode reminds me, in an undeniable way, of Backdraft, which I will get to. We have an alarm. We're clearly upstairs at a fire station, and then there's of course the fireman's pole, which this fireman desperately slides down, only to realize it was a false alarm, and it is a party. It is a birthday party for Mr. Fireman. We learn, because again, Are You Afraid of the Dark has an aversion to nuclear families. So because of that, we learn that the parents are divorced, but they are congenial. And Jimmy blames his dad. Jimmy will be the most annoying character in this episode. Everybody else is great.
1: But he is the holder of the main theme. There's always someone to blame. That's what he's feeling through this whole episode. And it ties back to the lesson.
0: Which is funny because I remember you told me once upon a time that this person shared a quote that really resonated with you, which is if you're holding on to anger and a grudge, it's like holding a match when you are doused in kerosene. You will only burn yourself. And we're talking about fire and we're talking about blame. So I think that really gives it like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Cooking bacon, fire. You can't cook bacon without fire. Wow. Does that make it a six degrees of Kevin Bacon squared?
1: Yeah, and we know that to be the truth because every time I cook bacon, the smoke detector goes off.
0: I distinctly remember them eating cake, and I remember the term sugar fiends, and I remember the firemen laughing. I remember that when I watched this episode when I was under the age of 13. Okay, this is really weird. Roxy gives her dad a nose ring for him. I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, even if he was like a hippie parent, I don't think he's going to wear a nose ring at the firehouse on his job. So she just realizes, I think after giving him a nose ring that he's like, what the fuck is this? And she's like, oh. But then fortunately the awkwardness is mitigated because they get distracted. But I thought that was a very strange gift. I guess they're just trying to show that the kids are going through their rebellious phase. There is already mention of a fire ghost. This, like this local legend of a fire ghost prowling around this firehouse. So imagine being a kid at night, the power goes out, and fire stations are pretty creepy to begin with. I've been in at least one, and I can tell you that if there was a fire ghost shuffling around, I would piss my pants. Jimmy, who's for some reason very close to the window, he gets his hand cut bad by this tree limb that violently assaults this glass. Now, do you think that this tree limb ultimately is a supernatural component, or do you think it's just hellacious wind?
1: I think it's just setting the mood for the episode.
0: Now, there's a fire. There's a warehouse fire at 36th and Arch, and we're told that it's a four-alarm fire. Rox is eating cake because she's young, and she has an incredible metabolism, so she can get away with it. And I think that that metabolism is enviable, don't you?
1: Uh, yeah. I wish. I mean, I always had a pretty fast metabolism, but as I get older, it's getting
0: slow. Well, I think you're doing great, and I think talking on this podcast is a good way to drop some LBs. Because, you know, we work up such a thick sweat of fear talking about these scary shits.
1: Yeah, but then I eat.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because I'm You're scared. always talking about food.
1: Always. Every time we podcast.
0: The phones are dead because of a power outage. And Roxy is the cutest of the two siblings. I think we're going to start playing a game where we identify which of the two siblings is the most attractive. Because I think it kind of shines a spotlight on the fact that they're not actual siblings in real life. Now, as far as what they look like 25 years later, who gives a shit? But for right now, she gets the prize. I will also say that out of nowhere, we were told that these two kids were going to be alone at the firehouse. So question, who the fuck is suddenly sliding down the fire pole? I was like, oh my god. This I would be terrified. Well, it's actually supernatural, so you can take a drink. So we meet this guy, Jake, who's a total badass, by the way. He's like a great actor. And he is holding that match like a badass. And then he puts it out with his fingers, because he's a true, legitimate shit Match scratcher. Well, the wind must have knocked out the phone line. And then he says, he finds like these weird segues into fire where he'll just say, fire is like a wild animal. It thinks, it lives, it dies, it screws, it climbs, it hides, it does taxes. He does this whole thing, right? And I think it's hilarious because he's so intense and the kids are just staring there. (gasps) The fire, it really has a mind of its own. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny because I think this was taken almost directly from Backdraft, that great movie with Robert De Niro and Kurt Russell, 1991, so it came out a few years before this. Here's a little soliloquy from Robert De Niro and Backdraft, and you tell me, Dr. Red Devil, Doctor of Literary and Dark Arts,
1: with a rah, rah, rah.
0: you tell me if you think this was copycatted. In a word, Brian, what is this job all about? Fire. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats, and it hates. The only way to beat it is to think like it, to know this flame will spread this way across the door and up across the ceiling, not because of the physics of flammable liquids, but because it wants to. Some guys, fire owns them, makes them fight it on its level, but the only way to truly kill it is to love it a little, just like Ronald. Yeah, whatever Jake, I think you stole from Bobby De Niro. He also gives them some very valuable advice. Don't get caught by a fire ghost. If you look right into the flame, lures you to watch it, Jake is terrific. Don't you think he's so believable? And he's intense.
1: He's very intense the whole time I was thinking he was a fire ghost.
0: Ah, and maybe that's what they want you to think. We learn that the fire ghost hates firemen, and unfortunately, for these two yahoos, their dad is one of the best firemen, so it's not uncanny for this fire ghost to be seeking revenge against these fucks now, here's the question: I have never ever. Seeing that perspective on fire, I've never seen anybody turn fire into the victim and why the fire would want to seek revenge against those who snuff out its flame. If it is living and breathing, and I guess it has some range of emotion, I think it's fascinating that they took this approach where fire is seeking revenge on those who would extricate it. Don't you think that's cool?
1: Yes. And I think that we should seek revenge on those who try to put our fire out. Just kidding. I'm not about revenge, but seriously, don't put my fire out.
0: The scariest runner-up, I think, is when the fire hose starts moving on its own and kind of crawling around the ground. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it's very unsettling when there's suddenly a glowing fire in the background luring the child out as Roxy is sleeping with a pillow over her face. It doesn't matter who's to blame. You see, Jake is giving advice constantly. He's like cranking out these fortune cookie nugget messages. Suddenly, the fire is downstairs. Ah! But it's not done like that. It's more like unnerving, pulling you in, what's going to happen to the boy. That's how it's done. And I apologize. Earlier when I said it doesn't matter who's to blame, that was actually Roxy. You see, Roxy is the more intelligent of the two. She's clearly more emotionally capable and mature. Well, the brother is getting steered towards this fire. The fire is tricking them. It's making them watch its fickle flame. It shoots up suddenly, like what, like a torch or like a Bunsen burner or something. But there's this geyser of flame. And what does the dumbass do? He stares at it.
1: Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have freaking done it.
0: His sister Roxy then accidentally scares him. She like comes up from behind and he is terrified. And it's actually pretty funny. But where I think the scariest scene lies in this episode is when suddenly a full blown fire costume firefighter costume with a helmet and axe and everything, just like in an otherworldly demonstration, just like walks off the wall and is pursuing the children, running after them as they run up the spiral staircase Mm-mm. to get to the second floor of the firehouse. This firehouse is a great backdrop. It's really used well, and it feels authentic, and that is important.
1: It's like in I Know What You Did Last Summer, when Sarah Michelle Geller is in the shop Shivers. Shivers, and then all of a sudden, all these mannequins are covered by plastic, and then all of a sudden, boom, the fisherman comes and starts yep. running after her.
0: Yep, good old Ben Willis. Well, when the phones work, they pick up the phone, and they hear this unsettling voice come over the air. You're the son of a murderer. Okay, that's fucked up. So we're dealing with a ghost, and if you watch any supernatural at all, you know that ghost can appear and disappear at will. This fire hose chases them into the bathroom. And when this fireman or fireman ghost comes into the bathroom and starts checking each door one at a time, like it would be done in a screen movie, that was so suspenseful. And who is it? Who is it, Dr. Red Devil? Jake. Oh, by the way, Jake is number four. I guess he's fireman number, number four. Oh, okay. But when she asks him point blank, Roxy, how do you know so much about fire? Takes one to no one. He is a ghost. He's a fucking ghost. But he's the benevolent one. The kids decide they've had enough, so they start crawling out the window, the same window that broke earlier. But Jake did warn them more than once, and in a very solemn way, beware of the fire ghost, because not only will it trick you and make you look at the fire, but it can also trick you in other ways. So immediately when they get outside, they're confronted by this tall, lanky, goofy-looking fuck who's like, whoa, 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 I'm private security. You guys are in trouble. I just saw you or heard you break that window. What the fuck? He kind of corrals them back inside the fire station, and he says that he's going to check things out when they hear a distant ruckus. Well, it was a trick. By the way, that shit got me. I did not know that this security man was the fire ghost. Yep,
1: I would have been tricked too if I was Jimmy and Roxy.
0: Immediately they know that he is evil because he starts smoking profusely, like off of his flesh, and he says, welcome to my parlor. Now they're being chased by the real fucking fire ghost. And this is not pleasant at all. And then I love when the brother is confronted by his sister and she goes, you looked at the flame <laughs> because Jake had previously said, don't look at the flame. So it's just a funny thing to be accused of. You looked at the flame. Way to go, Jimmy. And then it's time for a lesson in accountability because Jake says that Jimmy, he's the one that started this mess. Cause he looked at the flame. He's going to have to stop it. We learn a little bit of a sad history. Jake died in a fire that Roxy and Jimmy's father was at him with, and the roof collapsed and killed him. So the father has been feeling a lot of grief over this. And can we just say how badly this fire ghost wants their dad? He wants their dad so bad, he's willing to go through the father's children. Now, I think this is the moment where Dr. Red Devil shares what has got to be the most comedic moment in this the episode. most
1: hilarious. So
0: you're going to have to do the setup. You're going to have to explain who's talking to who and why it's funny.
1: Okay, so they are trying to trick the fire ghost. Jimmy is trying to coax the fire ghost to him, like, come out and get me. He comes, the girl comes behind, tries to put him out. It doesn't work. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And then Jimmy gets an idea to trick the fire ghost. And he says, whatever you do, please don't turn into fire. Just whatever you do, it's too horrible. And I think that's the worst acting I've ever seen in my whole entire life.
0: His acting is too horrible. It's so just, bad. It's just so... It's too horrible. Well, he's, he's keeping a straight face, but his words are like, it's too horrible. Whatever you do, don't fire me, please. Well, of course, the fire ghost, he has the hubris of a Greek god, and he just decides, I'll show this little bastard. When he creates this massive wall of flames from his own corporeal essence, the sprinklers are activated. And that is enough to thwart this hot monster. I think that Jimmy gets the best line here where he says, Adios, hot shot. That's a good one.
1: Good one, Jimmy.
0: Probably ad-libbed to make up for the It's Too Horrible. Okay, I love that there's this big mess now. The fire station is totally coated in water and glycol, and their father arrives back to the station, and he's just like, What happened here? They both run over. They hug their father. Jimmy is no longer holding a grudge. Uh, I don't care that they're hugging him. They would still be in so much trouble. This place is totally trashed, and he's never going to believe the two ghosts competing for the top slot. Never going to happen. Well, the fire ghost was never seen again. Take a drink. I don't know how many times FG is said in this episode, but it's got to be eight or nine, possibly more. Well, then we see there's this little memorial area for Jake, 1945 to 1990. That was his time on this earth in a standard human form way anyway. And the name of the station was 214. This was station 214. We are back at the campsite. We get a apology from Kiki to Sam. And she basically says, why don't we just split it? I'll give you half of the money and then you can keep the other half. I don't think that Sam owes Kiki anything. There's this thing in insurance about benefit to the bailee when you officially turn over your property to an institution. The responsibility then falls on them to look after it. But in this case, there was no benefit to Bailey. This was just a fucking jacket that she lent her, or I'm sorry, a sweater. But hey, they're happy, and if they're both happy, we're happy. But it's still not her fault, freaky Kiki. What do you think about that? Where do you think the culpability really falls?
1: On the person who stole it. (laughs) Yes, and it was
0: probably the fire ghost. And then I love we have a little Bart Simpson moment here where somebody says, Get bent. I think that's Tucker. But- The fire is put out, or is it, by Tucker and Gary, but this time, because he's a butter bucket, the dirt is used because they have no water. This is unique. I don't think we'll ever see dirt used again, but I'm not sure. Smokey the bear would be satisfied. Correction. He would be pissed and disappointed because the fire starts smoldering.
1: Yup, it would not work out.
0: The fire remains. This is what started or prompted the Canadian wildfires. It is time for the oral moral or the unholy grail of the tale.
1: When intense Bruce Willis-esque, visible only to you two, firefighting, flame-putting out with his fingers Jake, the fire can't shake, tells you not to look at the flame, if you still do, you should be ashamed, for you are to blame, Jimmy. Go easy on your father in a divorce if he's also grieving the loss of a fellow fireman and offers to play video games with you and your whiny ass. If you're facing a madman specter, relax, for he is also gullible and performs the very horrible act you beg him not to. It's too horrible! If you offer a nose ring to your conservative Christian firefighting father, do not be surprised when he looks at you like you're a whore. What? <laughs> Why did you make me read that?
0: I mean, that is an accurate you representation. are so stupid. Th- oh my God. That is an accurate representation of what happened. Red Devil. How much did you enjoy this episode?
1: No, I'm not answering it. And why? It's payback. So you tell me why you enjoyed this episode.
0: That's uh, a great setting. There's nothing gross, so you can eat a meal while watching it. I like that the power goes out. I like that the phone lines are down. I like the fact that it's two siblings alone in the dark. I love that fire is talked about. I think Jake is the great addition that really brings this thing home. Kind of like in the sorcerers. I'm sorry, in the magician's assistant, Shandu adds a lot of acting gravitas. I think that same thing is here for Jake. So it's a great episode, and it belongs in our selection of top 26.
1: And also, you're a pyromaniac, so that is another reason.
0: One woman's opinion, even though she is a doctor, but she's not a doctor of flammable liquids. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? This poor gal will need more than a flashlight to combat this backwards, misspelling, wall-dwelling demon girl ghost of fright. The tale of the lonely ghost is the third episode of the first season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the third episode in total. I believe it goes The Phantom Cab, and then Laughing in the Dark, and then Tale of the Lonely Ghost. I distinctly remember watching this episode live at home, and I was petrified inside.
1: I mean, that little girl ghost is pretty scary, even as an adult. I was like, wow, that, no. If that came out of a freaking mirror, no thanks.
0: When I was young, I did play flashlight tag with my friends, and sometimes laser tag. Finally, there was that abandoned asylum one neighborhood over in Greenwood, and I think that it used to be a home that would... It was like kind of like a halfway house or some facility where battered women could go to get away from the people battering them. So like a battered woman shelter. But it was like surrounded by this large brick wall with barbed wire on top, and it was completely dark. So I don't know what the fuck was going on in there. I don't know what kind of witchcraft or sorcery, or incantations, or being lodged, but all I know is it was scary, and I would have never stayed there in the dark overnight even with a flashlight. Finally, I had two half-sisters growing up, and one sister had about a hundred stuffed animals, and one time when that sister was gone, the older sister decided to pull a prank on her and positioned all one hundred of the stuffed animals so that they were facing the entrance of the door, so that when the younger sister came home and walked in, that's two hundred eyes looking back at you, With those black soulless doll eyes. And she cried for hours. That's a good prank and it cost her just a little bit of time. Red Devil, go.
1: Actually, mine is stuffed animal related as well. So, when I was little, I also had a lot of stuffed animals. And one of them, so I had a dog, Toby was his name. And he was a beautiful red golden retriever. And I had a stuffed animal that was kind of like a golden retriever stuffed animal. And it was in my... Stuffed animal collection, and I felt like he was Toby. And I wanted to trick my mom by basically, I covered myself with all of my stuffed animals, and I had Toby right in the middle. I put my hand behind Toby's head, the stuffed animal Toby, and I was like moving his head like he was real life. And I really, in my little four year old brain, thought, wow, I'm going to trick my mom. She's going to think that there's a dog and that Toby is in here with the stuffed animals. Do you think she believed me? You tell me. No, she didn't. I was really disappointed.
0: This episode was released August 29th, 1992, so the trail end of summer, and this would have been the third episode I watched as I was a die-hard fan. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative, as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. This was the first time David told a story. This is the first time Gary says, I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. This episode was the first time there was a reference to Zeebo.
1: Oh, dang. Because
0: they're called Zeeb. Zeeb is used Zeebs. as an insult.
1: Oh, you're such a Zeeb.
0: Zebo must have made an impression because this was the episode immediately after that. One of five episodes to feature a different opening. Oh, well, I can't tell when we're doing these rewatches on the digital medium, if that's the case. So never mind that. Laura Bertram, who got very pretty in real life in her more senior years than at least being 15 or whatever, who played Amanda reappeared a couple years later as laurel in the tale of the mystical mirror i knew it in the episode it proves that bethany nurse is not really deaf in real life since her character sally can perfectly hear and speak to beth and their friends okay we segue into the campsite of fright here is the drinking game dr red devil if you would please
1: if you want to get tipsy every time a doll, stuffed animal, or stuffed doll is touched or talked about, if you want to get balls to the walls, every time redheaded Beth is an unconscionable bitch.
0: Oh, yeah. You'll get yeah. so drunk. Why, do
1: the, why does this show, and I am going to write DJ McHale and whoever else I need to email. Why does this show always make the redheads the assholes?
0: The sample size is too small. We're going to have to watch more episodes before we can make a determination, because so far from what we presented to the listeners, we're re- right.
1: This is the first one.
0: But there is this guy who is in the curious camera and he is in laughing in the dark. And actually, he would be more attractive as he gets older. And he's in a supernatural episode in season three. But I say to you now, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe there's more redheads in Canada to pick from. I don't know.
1: Well, that's why I'm going to be writing a letter.
0: We do hear a wolf sound. It's undeniable. Kristen is walking in the woods alone. And she's kind of a bee because David comes up behind her politely. And she makes him say sorry twice. Sorry. Sorry. He has to say it twice because she's so mean. But he got her a gift. He knew it was her birthday, much to her mortification. And this is before social media. So the question remains, how did he know?
1: I mean, obviously. He has a crush on her,
0: okay? Yeah, but still doesn't answer the question. Now Frank almost chokes Eric with a water splash because Eric is like going to catch something with his mouth or something and then Frank pours water into his mouth and then Frank immediately gets defensive and says, take your best shot. So Frank basically attacked him and then he's mad that Eric wants to stick up for himself. Although to be fair, Eric's probably the most annoying of everyone that squats around this campfire. David is the storyteller. I happen to really like David. I think his voice is good. I think he tells good stories. Let's not forget that he will tell the story Twisted Claw, which is one of the greatest. But he begins this story two kids who don't get along and about a love that can survive death forever. We're going to come back around to forever, so just stick forever in your back pocket for now. But I think it helps answer a question that we're laughing about at the end.
1: Oh, I think think about that. I think this brings it
0: full circle on forever. Forever. The Tale of Terror There's a for sale sign. Is this the Windy City? No, but it's damn close as Canada does in fact border Illinois. Amanda, poor Amanda. Now apparently this is such a ridiculous bit of exposition. Her parents are scientists so they went north to look at Inuit stone carvings. (laughs) This is so unnecessary, but it is hilarious and I appreciate David's attention to backstory detail. Yes. But it's not uncommon for family members to go visit cousins and aunts and shit on a summer break or whatever, but I like that it's specifically Inuit stone carvings.
1: So maybe they went to Alaska.
0: So she's sent to Aunt Dottie's place. That's actually a good catch because Canada—you'd have Alaska. Alaska would be north. I don't know, but and
1: Inuits good... lived in Alaska. Yes,
0: um, exactly. I still call them Eskimos. Who really gives a shit? But yes, Inuits. <gasps> Inuit is they preferred nomenclature. So much hate. Thank you. Which side of that hate are you fall on, you motherfucker? You son of a bitch. You goddamn. Okay. He's dead. She is sent to Aunt Dottie's place. It's my ghost speaking now on my behalf. Aunt Dottie. Aunt Dottie. Aunt Dottie's fucking loony, and we're going to get to that. She makes fun of Beth already. Why is this luggage so heavy? Are you carrying a set of encyclopedias? I'm sorry. Is she attacking Beth for being bookish and studious? Like, what the fuck? Aunt Dottie. Meanwhile, Beth is a bitch, and Beth is the cousin, who you will see in short order that she's a huge bitch. But Amanda notices this house across the way. It's a very quaint-looking house, but we're immediately told that it's been in the neighborhood for years, and it just won't sell. Now, let me ask you a question, Dr. Red Devil. When Aunt Dottie was staring with those crazy eyes, and she goes, Oh my god, oh my god, no, no, no! Didn't that seem like that was like DEFCON 1? Only to realize she was wigging out because the for sale sign had blown over.
1: Yeah, but they have to trick us, obviously.
0: Well, it worked. She seemed genuinely despondent and concerned. What is her major malfunction? Amanda and Beth, who, this is not a good idea. This is like a black ant and a fire ant. They will be sharing a room. I love how Aunt Dottie is so thinking that they're three years old. You can just stay up all night giggling and talking. (laughs) She also has a thousand stuffed animals in a room. What do you think about Beth? And what do you think about Aunt Dottie? Do you think this is like a normal household?
1: Uh, no, I think that Beth is an only child, so she's a little brat, and then I think her mom is a working mom, we do not see a father in the picture, she just doesn't have time to deal with Beth.
0: We instantly get a Zeebo throwback when Beth immediately does not shake Amanda's hand, nor hug her, but says, you're gonna have to prove you're not a Zeeb. Zeeb. <laughs> it actually works pretty well in its original, but she's just so surly and horrible. She's like, I don't even want to know that you're here, I don't want to know that you've been here. I want you to pick up everything you move, and I don't want you to be a snitch after fixing all of my dolls. Wow. Well, Amanda is pretty awesome. She takes this in stride. Her hair is also three feet long. She could give her hair to cancer patients if she so chose. What's that program called? Locks of Love? Love Locks? Locks of Love. She is like, okay, I'll put everything back and I won't be a snitch. Perfect. So she's actually like a really good problem solver. And she keeps a clear head. But we learn about this initiation. What is the initiation, Dr. Red Devil?
1: She has to spend the night in a quote-unquote haunted house that's next door. So they make it sound like it's actually not haunted, but is that the truth?
0: She's given a flashlight because that's the only way they'll know that she's still inside the house. Is she has to be constantly moving around, holding up this flashlight. It's actually a bitch move, which we'll get to. Amanda is writing a kind letter to her parents. I miss you. I'm happy. Everything is great. It's like she's in like a Vietnamese prisoner camp, and she's telling the authorities... We are being treated marvelously here. No, no, you don't need to make a big federal case about this. Well, then this old witch ghoul woman walks up the stairs. She's actually nice. But the redhead, Beth, screams bloody murder. Oh my god! Well, first of all, the nanny seems kind. She seems like someone whose parents survived the Holocaust or something. She just seems like she's from like Germany or something, and she's been through a lot. But the redhead says, Do not touch her contaminated, wrinkly old hand. How is Beth even still alive? Wow,
1: what a freaking bee.
0: She's a bitch squared. Nanny then loses her locket on the stairs, and Miss Congenial Amanda picks it up, and she's very kind to her. Because of this, Nanny agrees to do all the laundry, their secret. Well, apparently Aunt Dottie, Beth's mom, is also a bitch, because she's clearly heard saying, well, she doesn't have anywhere else to go. I wish she did, but she doesn't. Wow. What the fuck? So Anne is a bitch, Beth is a bitch, A to B, B to B, B does not fall very far from the tree. I love them standing on the lawn at night, prepping Amanda to go in the house. So it's nighttime, it's time for the initiation, I just really love this shot.
1: And those outfits, on point.
0: Because for some odd reason, Beth has a lot of friends. She's got quite the coterie, and they are urging Amanda to complete the initiation. Well, we learn that the girl who once lived there died next door. She was being bullied, she ran home to not be bullied anymore, and then she got stuck or something, and she was just never heard of again. And because she was deaf, so they claim, she was not able to communicate, and she just was never seen again. So it's kind of a weird little situation, but we'll roll with it, because we have 22 minutes in an episode. Well, we feel sorry for this ghost, or whatever haunts this house, kind of like Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees was like being bullied, or he was being forgotten, the lifeguards weren't paying attention, and he drowns in the lake. So instant sympathy grab for this monster, possibly. Well, Amanda is given her flashlight, and Bitch Beth, or BB, has peace sign earrings, of all things. How ironic, don't you think? A little too ironic. Yeah, I really do think. Yeah, we really do think. But Beth is wearing peace sign earrings, and she's a warmonger. She's fucking waspish and belligerent and bellicose while we're at it. Scariest scene runner-up. I think probably Amanda navigating the house alone with her little limp flashlight that's dim as shit. And she's hearing what looks like sounds of children playing, laughing, and possibly crying. That is very scary, but she already hears like kids laughing or something. That's fucked up. But then she goes into this room. The door closes. Then there's writing on the wall from the wall, and it's backwards. It's help me backwards. And because Amanda has readily read the entire set of encyclopedias, she figures it out quickly in the mirror's reflection that it's helped me. But there's a girl in the mirror, and we get a great scream from Amanda. It is a fantastic scream. One of the best screams ever, right? Yeah, it was pretty good. We're then pulled out of the story. We're taken back to the campfire. It's creepy. The kids are commenting on how creepy it is. And then I like Frank's like, wait, so now Amanda is stuck at home with the nanny? Well, I recently said that it was a bitch move on Beth's part to say that she has to walk around with this flashlight so they know that she's in the house because Beth is sleeping at a slumber party down the street with her girl pals. They left Amanda and they're not even keeping tabs on her. So it's like a triple bitch move. But Beth is at her friend Sally's because she's a triple B. But Amanda is home alone with the nanny and the kids around the campfire are concerned for Amanda's safety. Okay, so are we in agreement? The scariest scene is the lonely, backwards writing bitch's first appearance in that room. Yes,
1: I totally agree. The little girl. She, like, reaches out. I'm like, mm no. She looks pale. I would have screamed, too. Just saying.
0: I was so scared as a kid, and when I worked at Starbucks with this gal, Vanessa, we ended up watching some episodes together on YouTube where they would break a 22-minute episode into three sections, and she remembered how scary this episode was. Well, Aunt Dottie, who's a bitch, too, she is pissed because of the graffiti. I don't know what graffiti that she's alluding to yet, and neither do the girls, but it's time for Dawn, it's time for Scrub Scrub Time, and There's a Ghost song comes to mind. Flory, there's a ghost, look it up, listen to it, it's amazing in every way, shape, and possible configuration that you can imagine how well a song can be played out. Also note that Aunt Dottie is dressed like a candy striper.
1: Yeah, and with those 90s, ugly-ass, white tights,
0: ew. Beth calls Amanda a snitch chicken. She is covering all of her bitch bases here. Also, we learn that the mirror does in fact have magical properties, because these two girls go to the room, and Help Me is scrawled all over the room. The ceiling, along the crown molding, on the walls, it's a big mess, and this is actually pretty fucked up, but Beth is entranced by the mirror, because she sees this room beyond the mirror that's covered in dolls and stuffed animals. She is completely bewitched by this. So what does Beth do? She walks into the mirror. Well, we learn that the nanny is this ghost's mother, and she never knew what happened to her. And there is this situation where these lockets play a factor, because this ghost gives Amanda this locket, and then she runs. Now, she is sprinting. But this ghost is so kind, because she trusts Amanda when Amanda says, let me out of the room, you know, with your telekinesis and I will go get your mother for you. Amanda runs to the house. She's jumping in every room. I thought that was funny. It's like something that would happen in a sitcom where she's like running to each room. She's like, oh no, where are you? Ah."
1: Nanny! Nanny!
0: It actually kind of reminded me of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone when he's just like running around the house like a madman and they speed up the film. But the nanny who survived at least one Holocaust or something is walking to a cab. And she's like, there's no place for me here. I'm not wanted. And of course, kind Amanda is like, oh yes, you are. In fact." I know somebody that would really like to reconnect with you. Here's the locket. (gasps) Well, she's reluctant, but Amanda drags her by her wrist into the house, into the room of magical mirrors. By the way, the nanny is a good actress. She's good.
1: Agree. I thought she was awesome.
0: And she will be in at least one more episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Possibly two. But the lockets correspond. The mystery is resolved, basically. And after Amanda drags her ass into this room, the mother and the ghost daughter- Drift off into the mirror.
1: Reunited, they go into ghost land.
0: I like that this show doesn't really get into like heaven, purgatory, hell. It doesn't broach the theology of it all. It's just they're reunited. You can make of it what you will. Again, we have 22 minutes to figure this shit out.
1: I like how when they go into the mirror, then you could see it was like they were young again, kind of.
0: Yes, exactly. And like the daughter has color again and stuff. Yeah. mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now we have Beth, bitch Beth, triple bitch Beth, still stuck in the mirror. So Amanda's smart. Not only does she make Amanda beg to let her out, Amanda has the wherewithal to invite all of the girlfriends over. So she basically has Beth admit that she's a bitch, promise to be kind going forward, and the coup de grace, be kind to all of Beth's friends. Yeah. So she lets her out, Beth falls to the ground, she's been through an ordeal.
1: She looks like an idiot.
0: And now Amanda is the leader of the group. It all comes around in a very spiritual way, but also in a very tangible way. We are now back at the campsite. Great story, Dave. That's what they say, and I agree. It is a very good story. And now we slowly get into one of the best endings around the campfire. I remember smirking when I was young watching this, and I still smirk now. So the group is mostly walking off. Frank is talking to Eric. He's like, come on, Zeb. I'll buy you a soda to cool you off because he's still hot, as in angry, apoplectic. David is like, Kristen, I I gave you a little gift earlier. Don't you want to open it?
1: Oh my god, David, I'm so sorry, I totally forgot.
0: Well, she opens it, and it's a necklace. Now, whether this came from his mom's china cabinet, or it was something that was a family heirloom, or he got out of a Cracker Jack box, I don't know.
1: It's a locket.
0: Yeah, 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 it's a locket. But I don't know the origin of said locket. What if it's cursed? I don't know. But she says she loves it, uh. and she says that she claims she'll wear it. and I'll
1: wear it forever.
0: Yeah, well, she says, every time I wear it, I will think of you forever. Well, you and I are cracking up like a couple Ugh. of loons. Like, this this has gone way too committal for, like, 13-year-olds. But if we're giving her the B of the D, it brings it all around yes, to the story. it makes sense. Which is forever.
1: But if she could have acted better there, it would have been more apparent what was happening. I'm just saying.
0: What, okay. what she should have said was, David, every time I wear it, I will think of how I was initially a bitch to you for scaring me accidentally. The fire is put out by Gary. Smokey the bear would be satisfied. Nothing remarkable about the fire affair itself, but it's rare that we end on such a positive note for David and Kristen, although this won't necessarily go anywhere, but that doesn't matter. It's about the magic of the moment. Dr. Red Devil, see if she'll like these a little better, is now going to read- Yeah,
1: let's see how you're going to trick me.
0: Is now going to read for you the oral moral or the unholy grail of this tale.
1: If your haunted, derelict listing with a checkered, tragic past is not selling, I doubt-
0: She doubts that it has fuck-all to do with the unreliable for-sale sign.
1: If you're going to be Canada's biggest ginger bitch, fix your hair so it doesn't look like Mary from There's Something About Mary. And don't sport peace sign earrings. Be nice to your old German refugee, sagacious, wicked witch who lives in your attic and does your laundry. If you want help, instead of scrolling help me backwards, perhaps you should write... I'll pay you to release me forwards. Isn't that great? I just want to say that obviously it's backwards because of the mirror. So just saying she's in a
0: mirror, it's backwards. But why would it show up on the wall? I would think it would just show up on the mirror. But hey, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Maybe it's just a reflection. 22 minutes. We can't get much introspection. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode and why?
1: I was scared. That's what I liked about this one. Even as an adult, I was like, "Mm -mm." as soon as I saw that little ghost girl, That was scary. I'm just saying.
0: So which was scarier, Lonely Ghost or Fire Ghost?
1: Lonely Ghost. I'm sorry.
0: The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? Do not easily scare, as we declare this third two-parter episode of Campfire Scary Tales concluded. Dr. Red Devil with a rah-rah-rah and I, in fear-inspiring machinations, colluded and terrified your insides, unless it is we who are deluded. Collect your new batch of match-scratcher sheep. Find a cold rock seat to warm. Poke with your makeshift spear, the waning fire. Roast those mellows before they exceed their shelf life and expire. Master your storytelling and your fears upon this pyre. And await with deathless, breathless anticipation with your fourth Campfire Scary Tale with
1: Campfire Scary Tales Submission 4. The Silent, Grinning Matchstick Society. Play ball and sleigh while the sun shines. On blue goo, this jester dines. Scary Pastime and Blue Slime. Silent Servant slash Ghastly Grinner.
0: Your host, that's Falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, and co-host...
1: Dr. Red Devil, with a rah, rah, rah.
0: Until next time, Match Scratchers...
1: It is the most fun at this secluded park when swapping campfire scary tales after dark.